Welcome to So You Want to Be a Copywriter, brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses. Your host is Bernadette Schwert, who you'll find at copyschool.com, and you can find out more about all our copywriting courses at copywritingcourses.com.au. Now, over to Bernadette. You're listening to a podcast, but have you ever considered launching your own podcast? Maybe you should. Podcasts are one of the most productive and enjoyable ways to promote your copywriting business. Why? Because they help you build your authority, find new clients, and create new connections with interesting and high-profile people. If you've ever wanted a map for how to build, launch, and promote your own podcast, this is the episode for you. Ash Roy is a podcast and digital marketing expert and a global authority on productivity and business growth. He has attracted big names to appear on his podcast, including Seth Godin, Brian Tracy, the motivational expert, Brian Clark, the founder of Copyblogger, and Rand Fishkin, one of the original co-founders of Moz.com. Listen in for how you can find big names to appear on your podcast. Hello, I'm Bernadette Schwert. I'm the founder of the Australian School of Copywriting and the head copywriting tutor at the Australian Writers Centre. If you'd like to build a side hustle in copywriting, work from wherever you want, check out our courses and discover how copywriting can help you find the independence and freedom you seek. You can find out more about our courses at Australian Writers Centre dot com dot au forward slash essentials and copyschool.com. Now here's a review from Serena Daly, who recently completed one of our courses. She said, I didn't even know what copy was until I did this course. The course has given me the confidence to present myself as a professional copywriter. I found my first client at my first networking event and the fee they paid me more than paid for the course. This course has been a great investment. Well, thank you, Serena, for sharing that good news story with us. And if you like our podcasts, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Ash, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a delight to have you here. You are a master of podcasting, and I know it's a topic that a lot of people are interested in, but there's a lot of myth and confusion around podcasts about the potential about the production. So maybe we could spend a little bit of time talking about how to build and launch a podcast. And let's assume people aren't copywriters because that's the majority of people listening. And maybe they want to use a, a podcast to build their authority, their influence, and also the ability to build their business. Because let's face it, we're not doing it for free, right? We we love to chat and to communicate, but there has to be a commercial proposition at the bottom of it or else you wouldn't be doing it. But maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> so let's talk firstly about why would people build a podcast? What are the benefits of building a podcast? Yeah, great question. So first of all, thank you very much for having me here. It's an honor. And I've been watching and following your work for a long time. And we have a common friend, Valerie Koo, who I think very highly of as well. So um, great to be here. Look, there's certain things that podcasting offers that are unique to to marketing, for want of a better term. Uh, so I'm going to contrast it with, say, YouTube as a, another example. So you've got your three main forms of content. You've got video, audio, and written content. They say video is the king or queen of content. Uh, and to some extent, I agree because it builds trust very quickly. But podcasting, which is mainly delivered in audio format, there are some video podcasts, but it's mainly audio. What is unique about podcasting uh, or the audio medium is a lot of people tend to listen to podcasts while they're commuting, and that's often done while they're traveling by themselves. Because I know if I'm listening to a podcast on business um, while I'm traveling with my wife in the car, she will be like, "Please, can we do? Some, can we listen to something else?" Because she's uh, she's a, she's a surgeon and she can't handle. She's not interested in business, and I'm sure this is often the case. So 
we tend to listen to podcasts while we're alone or we listen with our headphones and that's a very intimate experience. The whole physical environment in which a podcast is consumed actually creates a certain um, intimacy that you don't have on, say, a screen, which most of us tend to view as a battleground for our attention because most email notifications, SMS messages, all those sorts of things tend to come through on screen. While I'm not saying screen is all bad and it builds trust very quickly, I think podcasting deepens that trust because of the relatively extended opportunity for exposure to your audience in a relatively intimate setting. So that's one benefit of podcasting. Um, there are many other benefits, and we can touch on those as we go through our conversation. Another one might be, say, repurposing of content. You could transcribe your content, but that is true for video also. And if you're a well-trained copywriter, you will know that using headlines and subheads that are intriguing and interesting, that promise a benefit and give the person a glimpse into the content uh, is a great way to break up this wall of text that comes from the transcript. Um, if you want to spend a bit more time, you could actually create the content a little bit more. That's a bit more engaging. A book that I recommend to read is Make to, Made to Stick by Dan and Chip Heath, which talks about breaking people's guessing machines. It's a great way to really think of yourself as a performer rather than a writer and present the content in a more intriguing way. So there's the uh, repurposing element of a podcast. And then there's another one, which is being able to build deep and valuable relationships with people that you admire. So Seth Godin is somebody I admire, and I'm now proud to call him a friend. He's not my best friend. I don't pick up the phone, phone and call him every day, but we do occasionally engage via email. I was going to interview Derek Sivers uh, a couple of days ago on my podcast, I love Derek Sivers' work, and I mentioned that to Seth, and I said, hey, man, I'm going to interview him, and he, he wrote straight back saying he's all, he's aces. And it was it's a little way in which you can sort of keep connected with people who you've interviewed on your podcast. I had interviewed Seth on my podcast at one point. So it's a great way to build relationships with people that you admire and hope to maybe do business with one day. Um, Neil Patel was my very first guest on my podcast. He came back in episode 212. I'm now a partner with NP Digital where, you know, I have a relationship with NP Digital where we promote their services. So there's just three little examples of how podcasting can build authority and relationships. Awesome. And let me just ask Derek Sivers. I haven't heard of him. Who is he? Okay. I, I'm going to tell you the story in very brief. <clears throat> uh, first of all, if you haven't checked it out, I strongly recommend it. Go to S-I-V-E dot r-s slash a okay that's basically where you can read this book called anything you want it's it's there for free it's basically i think it's the audio version you can listen to the audio snippets he's done it brilliantly on audio derek sivis created a book called cd uh, sorry a business called cd baby which he launched purely with a view of serving customers in fact when he first created the website it was about being able to sell his own music cds he's a musician uh, and not be caught up in the whole music racket, which is all about distributors and, you know, put, giving the stars all the money and the, all the other artists sort of starve. So he created a website and he created probably one of the first checkout carts and checkout buttons. This is back in 1998 something. And then his friend said, hey, man, can you put my CD on your website as well? Because I want to sell my web, my CD on your website. And more and more people came in on the thing. Eventually, it you know, iTunes or Apple wanted to be become a distributor and he sold CD Baby for $22 million about eight years hence. There was a lot of hard work involved, but it was not built with profit in mind. It was built purely to serve the customer selflessly. And he's built a beautiful business and he's lived his whole life like that. It's a very unconventional life. Um, and Seth Godin told him to write that book, Anything You Want, which is why he wrote it and he's gone on to write four three other books since and i've devoured all of them that's a great segue here ash for the next question which is uh one thing that hasn't been discussed in the three reasons why you build a podcast is building a business 
And I know you feel quite strongly about this, that if you're going to launch a podcast, you, you have to do certain things in order to make it work for you. So what are some of the foundational principles about making a podcast in terms of, you know, duration, length, commitment to it? Great question. So if you're a copywriter, I'm sure uh, you will agree with me that it all comes down to the audience. So in my opinion, I think about 80 to 90% of copywriting is really about customer research, understanding the audience, because you could write the most brilliant, pithy piece of content or brilliant headline in the world, but if it's in the wrong conversation, you're going to miss the mark. So copywriting is really about understanding your audience and the podcasting is very similar. In fact, in my opinion, any form of marketing um, must start from understanding the audience and where they are on their journey. So if you're going to launch a podcast, the first question I believe we need to ask ourselves or you should ask yourself is, who am I trying to serve and what change do I seek to make for this particular person? And so I would start with something like an empathy map. And I don't know if it's okay to mention resources while we're talking. Sure. Okay. So I created a, uh, a podcast episode on this. It's called, uh, it's basically on how to build an empathy map. Uh, it's productiveinsights.com slash 116. And that takes you straight to an episode where it talks about that. Uh, but empathy mapping is not my idea. It was created by a guy called Dave Gray. And it's about understanding what your customers seeing, hearing, thinking, feeling, doing at a given point in time. If you want to go really deep into your customer experience, you could do that before they buy your product or listen to your podcast. Because to me, any form of content is still a product. People are usually just paying with attention instead of money, but they're still paying. So um, you can ask yourself, what is the problem? What is my customer thinking, hearing, seeing, feeling, doing before they come across my podcast? What are they thinking, feeling, seeing, hearing, doing while they're listening to my podcast? And what are they thinking, feeling, seeing, hearing, doing after they've listened to my podcast. And that kind of maps the transformation that your podcast delivers. You can do this with any product. You can do this with pretty much anything. Because ultimately, this is a bit of a, an extreme view, but my view is any good copywriter understands marketing and any good mar marketer understands copywriting. The two are a continuum. They're not two separate things. Um, one can't be without the other because copywriting is really marketing in words. It's, you know, just how your marketing meets the rest of the world. Yeah, that's absolutely fits into the training that uh, we offer to Ash. It's, it's the customer avatar, it's the target market, the customer persona, you know, the customer profile, there's a whole bunch of names for it, but it all starts with that. And, and before that, it's really, what are we selling? You know, often people forget to nominate what they're actually selling. But I think this is important just as a, as a point, because one of the things that surprises people who get into copywriting is the amount of research involved. They think yes. it's just go straight into the writing. I've got a great idea. I've got a great, you know, hook headline. And that's fine. It's great. Like, note that down. But then you go back and you go, okay, let's look at the planning here. So I break it into left brain, right brain. And if you don't do the planning, the research, the logistics of it all, then when you get into the writing, it's actually really hard because you get to a point where you want to make a claim, like a really strong claim about we guarantee this or this is better than that. And you can't because you haven't done the research. And so you end up watering down your copy and it becomes quite muddy and it just lacks punch. So that absolutely feeds into to any kind of copy, which is interesting you say it's about podcasting. So let's maybe talk about how many episodes do you think you need to commit to before you can start to see any, if any, results in your business? Before I answer that, I just, there's another question that you asked me earlier that I didn't answer. I would just like to cover that off if it's okay. You asked me that, about the length of podcast episodes. Um, so I think the length of your podcast episode is informed by your avatar. And by the way, the empathy mapping to me is a deeper dive than the avatar. The avatar is still important. You still need to be able to articulate a day in the life of your customer or your prospect. Um, but the empathy mapping takes you that much deeper and makes you imagine what does the world look like when you're in her shoes? What is she thinking, hearing, seeing, feeling, doing? Um, so that's just an aside. 
if she, for example, is, say, a lawyer, so one of my um, case studies that I've built around my podcast service is around Amanda Farmer. She was a lawyer. She she is a lawyer, sorry. She had a very successful legal practice, but the problem that she was looking to solve was she didn't just want more customers, more clients. She wanted better clients and she wanted to do more interesting work. So she works in the strata law space. So for our listeners, if we have American listeners, that's basically like, you know, the body corporate or when you live in an apartment block, this this is the law that is written about the bylaws, about the common areas in the apartment block, right? So that there's special lawyers that do that kind of stuff. So that was that's her her special her specialty. So we said, okay, how are we going to name your podcast? And we came up. I remember saying to Sonia Simone once, one of the best ways to come up with a <coughs> product handle or a title is to call out the audience or the benefit to the audience or both. And she loved that, so I stuck with it. So in Amanda's case, because Amanda's working with Strata managers, we came up with a title, yourstrataproperty.com.au. We launched a website with that name. She was still doing, her her practice was called Lawyers Chambers, but we came up with yourstrataproperty.com.au. And then we said, well, what does the strata manager's life look like? Well, they're usually quite busy. They're quite frenetic. Uh, they don't have a lot of time. They need you to get to the point quickly. So we said, okay, we'll do 15 to 20 minute episodes. And then we gave her the proprietary framework that I give to my clients to, you know, create unlimited number of episodes. You just basically plug the subject matter in and the, the result you want to deliver to your audience into that framework. And you have a an episode. Now, uh, we landed on 15 to 20 minute episodes, but she did about, she's probably at about 450 episode mark. She was consistent week in, week out. Uh, and she ended up on Sky News and Channel 10. And, you know, she's become a thought leader. And there's these old dudes in strata law that are lining up to get on a podcast that are, you know, the so-called godfathers of strata property, uh, because, they didn't launch a podcast and she's seen as an authority. So that's what podcasting can do for you if it's positioned correctly. To answer your question about how many episodes, I would say, and this is changing, when I started, you know, 20 episodes were enough because no one was podcasting seven years ago, relatively speaking. Uh, now there's what, 2 million podcasts out there? I think when I started, there was like 200,000 uh, and it was like a novelty. A lot of these influencers wanted to be on the podcast because they didn't know what a podcast was. Uh now I would say if you're not doing at least 100, then I wouldn't bother. But again, I want to put another caveat on here, Bernadette. I want to say that podcasting is one of your um, forms of content and it's part of a continuum. You know, it's like, you know, the arms of an octopus, if you like. You still have to do video. I recommend doing video podcasts, stripping out the audio, publishing that on your podcast, transcribing the audio or video, creating engaging transcripts with subheads on it that are SEO friendly. Can you see how SEO, podcasting, video, writing, it's all part of your strategy. It's got a, Podcasting is one piece of it. But yes, if you're not doing about 100, I'd say don't bother. Excellent. And I have to say, too, that when I started this podcast, I didn't know what the impact would be. But what I found from a, from a business point of view, and again, I didn't do it specifically for that. I was just really interested in doing it and interesting, you know, to meet people. Um, but what happens is people do listen to the podcast and then they go, oh, I might enroll in your course. It, it's quite quick in some respects. It might take years, right? But sometimes people go, oh, I just really want to be a copywriter. So it, it's, it became a lead generation a tool without really meaning it to be, even though there's always going to be that commercial underpinning. But, you know, it was really quite clear that it, it became a source of information for people who to, yes. you know, move the way along in terms of understanding what copywriting is. So it can absolutely be a quick conversion tool. And, and like I say, it might take 100 episodes. Just on the SEO, I'm really interested in your thoughts about the title because what you call your podcast is obviously critical. And um, what kind of... Keyword research, do you think, needs to be done in order to find the best title? That's a great question. So there's a few different tools you can use. But before I 
dive deep into keyword research, I just want to point out that the fundamentals of SEO appear to have changed about three or four years ago, I think. And it's moved from being keyword centric to topic centric. And the recommendation now, as I understand it, is rather than just trying to rank for a keyword, you want to try and optimize your website, which hopefully hosts your podcast, to be topic centric. So what I mean by that is, let's say the topic that you want to rank for is copywriting. Uh, you might have what is called a piece of pillar content, which is all about copywriting. And that may have different aspects to it, like audience research, voice of customer data, um, you know, understanding different markets, understanding pricing, understanding how to walk in your customer's shoes, et cetera, a whole lot of things, right? Google now is smart enough to understand that a lot of those quote unquote keywords are related to copywriting. So those, you would sort of touch on those various topics in your pillar post, but then you would dive deeper into each of those topics in what is called a cluster blog post. So you have a pillar and cluster strategy and the thing together is called a topic cluster. Um, so that's generally how I would approach SEO. But in terms of keyword research, I find Ubersuggest is a really useful tool. It's great in terms of value for money. Uh, it is Neil Patel's tool. He uh, bought it and he's been doing a lot of work on it. Generally, I find his uh, software is very good value for money. Um, I am a, a full, a full disclosure, I am a partner in NP Digital, but Ubersuggest, as far as I know, is not part of that service. But I also do use Ubersuggest. I just got the lifetime subscription. It's great value for money. So I just plug in uh, a certain keyword and it comes up with other suggested keywords. And I try and go for something that has a search volume that I want to aim for. Because if you go for what they call really popular keywords, and I'm talking about keywords that have, I don't know, 100,000 plus searches a month, chances are you're not likely to rank for it unless your domain authority is very high. Uh, if you want to learn more about domain authority, you might want to check out my conversations with Rand Fishkin, who came up with a term. It's productiveinsights.com slash 126, I think. Uh, he's been on three times, so you can just type in Rand Fishkin in the search. And he's a founder um, of Moz, right? He's the founder of Moz, yeah. yeah. And he's a pretty M-O-Z, good of mine. Yeah, dot com, yeah. Yeah, moz.com. He's since left Moz. He's certainly not the CEO anymore. He started a new tool called SparkToro, which I was one of the founding uh, customers of. And that's another great tool for keyword research. But I would say that's more about audience research, actually, than keyword research. And that is important. It's one of the best tools that I've come across in terms of audience research. Can you say that word again, Spark? SparkToro, S-P-A-R-K-T-O-R-O. If you want to know more about it, just go to ProductiveInsights.com slash 159. In all these cases, if you scroll down a bit, or in most of the cases, you can find a video conversation of me with that person, in this case with Rand. I'm just blown uh, away at the fact that you know your numbers of your, your yeah, yeah. I can't They're remember like what I did three weeks ago. <laughs> They're like my, my 221 babies. <laughs> Okay, anyway. so yeah, so if I was looking to build a podcast around copywriting, let's just say, it, it, someone listening might be wanting to do that to build their own business, what kind of research techniques would you recommend that they um, employ? So I would start with uh, Ubersuggest. Another tool I would recommend is Keywords Everywhere. It's something that you can just buy I don't know, 10,000 credits for 10 bucks or something like that, and it's a plugin on your Chrome browser. And basically... You just type in the word into the Google search, and then it tells you the number of searches for that keyword. And if you scroll down a bit on the right-hand side, it gives you the number of, it gives you related search terms and the number of searches. Now, if your domain authority is like, say, 10 or something like that, you want to try and rank, you want to try and, you know, rank for keywords that have maybe, I don't know, say 20 or 30 searches a month, something that's not too competitive. If your domain authority is like 91, if you're like Neil Patel or whatever, neilpatel.com, you could try and compete for keywords that have, I don't know, 50,000 searches a month. So you need to sort of start to get a bit of a feel for that. But initially go for the longer tail, lower search volume, higher search intent keywords. That's the first thing I would do. The second thing I would do is I would try and understand searcher intent. So I have a little, 
I have all these frameworks that I use on a tool called Roam Research, which I love. It's a bi-directional linking tool. So it, it allows me to have like a photographic memory. Every time I type in any term into that, into that, it's a database basically, it links to all other mentions of that term. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. Rome is R-O-M-E. R-O-A-M. Yep. R-O-A-M-research.com. And if you want to know more about it, you can check out my conversation with a guy called Nat Eliason. It's episode 205, productiveinsights.com slash 205, where we contrasted Rome Research with Notion, which is another tool. But I like Rome Research. Anyway, the so in my Rome Research, I've got this content creation framework. And one of the things I've discovered over time that's important is get an understanding of searcher intent. This comes back to what we were talking about earlier on. Don't just try and research the keyword, but try and look at a few of the search results and ask yourself, what is the customer, what problem is the customer, sorry, what problem is the searcher trying to solve when they're typing in this keyword? So for example, if I'm typing in um, how to be a better copywriter into Google, maybe I'm actually someone who is a copywriter in the um, coaches and consultants niche. And what I really want to know is how to be a better copywriter for coaches and consultants. But I didn't type that in. Uh, so maybe the search results will reveal what most people are searching for or which niche they're looking to solve that problem in, and that may inform you. Or maybe some of the tangential searches will tell you. But it's a little bit like, as you know, it's like digging for gold, right? You you go where the the clues are and you you sort of follow the path. And as you progress, you come to a new vantage point and that tells you where to go next. So you've got to be a little bit of a detective when you're doing your searches. And then after the third or fourth iteration, you might start to get a feel for, ah, people who are searching for this term are actually trying to solve this problem. So let me create a piece of content around that. And how niche, I know I don't like how questions because they basically end up in a zero answer because if you knew the answer, you wouldn't be asking how. But um, just on that topic about how to be a better copywriter for coaches and consultants, what kind of niching is is desirable here? Like, I'm going to ask a how question, but how how niche can you get? What, what are some of the, the most niche things you've seen that work really well? I think that um, you can go as low, if I'm using Google as a barometer, which I'm, I admit is not the only one. Uh, like when I spoke to Derek Sivers, I asked him to use SEO and he said, he used an expletive and said no. Um, he, he feels strongly about it. Uh, even Seth Godin said, if I just used SEO, your website just becomes commoditized. He didn't recommend it. But I in what see context that what context wouldn't you use SEO? Well, they both Derek and Seth appear to be very much about just being driven by serving the audience, and they don't want to do it via the Google gods. They don't want to feel like Google is deciding who gets to see their content. So they've just chosen to opt out completely from that process, which doesn't mean that Google's not going to rank their site. If you go and look at their domain authority, at least with sets, when I last checked, it was above 50 or 60 because Google will still rank your site based on how often people are coming to your site and how the average time on page and so on. So he has a following. He's built an audience and that is still giving Google the signal that this is a valuable site. People are still linking to his site. So it is got high authority because it's getting links to it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So he was just uh, basically saying, I'm going to go with my instinct because I've got sufficient clef, you know, clout and heft yeah. to do what I want to do. Yeah. Before but he was also on- saying, but he was also saying, I don't want to play that game. Yeah. And I think what he was saying is you don't have to play that game if if you're willing to do it over the long haul and do what is right and stick with it, which most people are not prepared to do or can't do, don't have the resources to do, right? This is a long game. All of it is a long game. Um, But coming back to the SEO thing, to answer your question, how niche can you go? Well, if I were doing it, I'm still quite 
happy to use SEO tools. If there are no searches for the keyword, for example, let's say, let's start with the word copywriting. Okay. If you type in copywriting in Google, chances are there's going to be what, 300,000, 500,000 searches a month. I don't know, but I'm just making that up. But if I typed in copywriting for consultants, that's niched down a little bit more. So it might be maybe, again, I'm making this up, say 2,000 searches a month. And I look at my domain authority and I think, mm, that's still too competitive a term. That's still too unniched for me, for my site as it is now. So I might write copywriting for consultants in 2022, say, and maybe there's 10 searches for that. So I decide to create a piece of content around that. But then as my site ranks for that long tail keyword, which has relatively high intent and is therefore by definition likely to be engaged with more, that is one of the benefits of going very niche. People that find the result on Google search are more likely to engage because they've spent the time typing in a longer search term. Um, so now you've won their attention, but the next question and the important one is how are you going to keep their attention? Because if your content doesn't fulfill the promise that your headline makes, you're toast. People are never going to trust you again. Or oh, Yoast. You're toast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yes. that was an intro. <laughs> that was brilliant. I At first, you, it was like, what? And then I got it. <laughs> yes, that was really bad. Toast. That's why I'm not a stand-up comedy. <laughs> no, no, all good, all good. Uh, no, but so, let me jump in and just ask this question for people who um, may not know. What's domain authority? Let's just talk about DA. Yeah. So, again, I'm not a domain authority expert, but my very, um, I don't know, the very basic understanding of domain authority is how Google sees your website. So if there's a lot of, this is when I last checked, it was years ago, okay, so please don't quote me on this, but if you have, say, government bodies, like, you know, things that end with .edu or .gov and stuff that are linking to your site, Google tends to see that as a, as a, a green light, not always justifiably, but anyway, they, they think that that is one of the things that increases your domain authority. Another thing might be if higher domain authority sites are linking back to your site, that counts for more points in Google's eyes as compared to if a lot of low authority sites are linking to your site. And in fact, you can disavow certain sites. So if you have like porn sites and stuff linking to your site, you don't want, you want to disavow those oh, because really? that's going to oh. actually reduce your domain authority. There's a disavow tool in Google and stuff like that. I'm, but, I'm not surprised. But right. Let me give an example to it because I think what you're saying is, um, and I say this a lot in my course, which is let's say you're a medical copywriter, right, mm -hmm. and you want to have a high DA, domain authority. So what you want to be doing is getting your blogs on something like the Australian Medical Association or the, the Chiropractors Association website. So if you can really focus on the associations attached to the industry in which you operate, you're going to have a much better chance of having your well, your blog um, being connected back to to your website. You know, you've, you've posted it on someone else's, but everyone sees that amazing blog on, let's say, chiropractic today. Let's just say that's the website, um, and therefore, not only are the chiropractors seeing it because that's the kind of copy that you know the clients that you may want. But Google sees chiropractic today as being a yes. very high authority website. So that's why I say with copywriting, when you're trying to get started and build your authority and get your content out there, focus on the associations of the niche yes. in which you operate. Because often they're running on the smell of an oily rag. They don't have a lot of um, support money and they therefore need content and therefore when they take content and you can give it for free and obviously you want to be paid at some point, but even for free, right? With associations, don't don't look a gift horse in the mouth. You know, take take those opportunities because you've got five hundred chiropractors looking at your copy, and if yes. it's really well written and there's a great bio at the end with a link back to yours, then clearly you're going to find a client, which just actually reinforces the whole point of the podcast. And this is where that say copyright for consultants comes in. What do you want from this? You know, you want business, you want leads. So if you want to work with HR consultants, why not have the pod? copywriting for HR consultants mm. because that is going to attract a fairly significant audience. But all you need is a couple of people listening every couple of months to give you a really good source of, you know, new lead generation. Or it could be copywriting for 
healthcare consultants, NDIS consultants, engineering consultants. You know, again, I'm just making this up as we go, sure. but that sense of the, the specialty niche gives you enough client opportunities, you know, yes. to make the podcast work as well, rather than just consultants in general. And you don't get anyone because you don't yeah. know who to put on your guest list. And guest posting is another excellent way to build your authority. So if you want an authority website like Forbes or um, I don't know, CNN or, or you yeah. know one of those people to link to you, make them a compelling pitch. And there is a specific way in which you can make pitches. Um, and, and the trick is basically you look at the highest ranking articles on their site, you read through the comments, although comments are not as popular as they used to be, but I use this tool to get a guest post onto tinybuddha.com. And Laurie Deschen said, you can write for me anytime you want, because she loved the pitch. Because I went through the comments in the article and said, hey, this is one of your most popular articles, but the comments seem to indicate that your audience wants to hear more about this aspect of the article. So would you like me to write an article like this for you? So I did all the research. It was a slam dunk article. And she was like, geez, I don't need to you know, ask this guy to pitch me because he's doing the research. And you could use that approach to podcasting as well. What is your audience already asking for on authority websites that are in your niche? Create an episode about that. Maybe pitch to be a guest on their podcast if they have one. Maybe pitch to write an article that links back to your site. And then you get that authority link back to your site, which increases your domain authority. Guest posting is a great way to do this. It is. It's a bit of a... Um unknown or, un, you know, people forget about it. It's such an easy way to build a business quite quickly and build your database as well. And just just on that, um, in terms of promotion of a podcast, you, you've been very successful in getting big names onto your website, onto your podcast, which is a great talent. So what techniques have you used to attract those kinds of celebrities? What could someone do to, to get the big names in their industry on their podcast, particularly when they haven't really got much of a following to start with? Okay, so I sadly, <laughs> people ask me this all the time, and I don't unfortunately have a guaranteed formula that works. It works for me, but I have told people to do this in the past and it hasn't worked for them. So I need to be completely honest about that. Um, but it is something that again comes back to being uh it, it comes back to business principles marketing 101 try and really understand the person you're trying to ask to be on your podcast follow them on twitter watch what they're doing well twitter assuming twitter is around for uh, for for much longer but uh follow them on twitter uh, follow them on other social media channels understand what they're doing Get to understand their mission. What is their mission? Um, align with that mission. Make sure that you have similar values to theirs. Because the truth is, if your values don't align with theirs and you're just faking it, it'll come out in the wash and you'll look you know, dodgy and they will just get annoyed. So just don't connect with people who you don't feel aligned with your values, for starters. And... If there is something specific about what they're doing that you resonate with, tell them that, hey, I resonate with this. Show them how you've implemented those principles in your life. Give them evidence and proof as to why you believe this and you're not just using words to, uh, you know, just make it sound like you're, you're kind of a fanboy. And most of them can't stand fanboys and fangirls, right? They want to know, are you aligned with my mission? Um the number of pitches I get that are that come across as scammy, even though they've done some research, that sounds harsh, but I I get like two to three pitches a day. And almost all of them are, I listen to your podcast episode number. They'll tell me the number and everything. And I say, what did you like about it? And that it's crickets. So clearly it shows me that they're not really, they, they're just doing it to get something from me. Well, if you're doing it to get something from that person, you're not going to be able to get them on your podcast. You have to start with aligning with their mission. What can you give to them? How can you enhance their life in some way? And then maybe, not guaranteed, maybe something will evolve in the future. I think what I've learned from podcasting, and I, and I was a novice to start with, is 
if you reach out to people with a genuine intent to learn more about what they do and with a genuine, like, I love, you know, your topic, I, I really admire what you do, I'd love for you to share your wisdom because for me as a podcaster, I get so much, I get, I learn so much just by doing my own podcast exactly. and I get to tap into topics that I don't know a lot about but I want to know and I think my audience might want to know. So for me it's a little bit of a mini masterclass, mini PhD in a topic that I would never have any reason to call that person, you know. So I find for these sorts of reasons it's a self-education. That's what I was saying at the beginning. I did it with a sense of, yeah, there's a business case to it, but it's a genuine chance to reach out to people that you'd love to be in touch with and don't be put off by how high you can go, you know, reach out. You did the Seth Godin and the... Brian Clark and and all those people, uh, you, you don't know what people might say. Brian Clark was here in Australia a couple of years ago and we caught up for a beer. And just you explain know. who Brian Clark is. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Brian Clark is the founder of Copyblogger. He used to be a lawyer, but then he decided to start blogging back when content marketing wasn't really a phrase. And he kind of was seen as one of the pioneers of content marketing. And he's now reinventing himself with something called Seven Figure Small, which I love. Uh, a shout out to Brian Clark's website, unemployable.com. I love it. Um, but he was one of my earliest mentors. I couldn't believe I was meeting him in person, catching up with him over a beer in a pub in Sydney uh, a couple of years ago. I've got a photo to prove it. Um, I don't go around plastering it all over social media. Maybe I should, but it's something that is close to my heart. But I reached out to him because I really wanted to learn from him. I was a copy blogger. Uh, student for years. Sonia Simone is a friend of mine, and we now have common friends as well. But this came after years. Uh, Guy Kawasaki, I read his book front to back. I read two or three of his books. I listened to the audiobook, and then I reached out to him about something specific from the book. And I don't think he replied the first time or the second time. I can't remember now. But he eventually ended up on my podcast. I think I met him on uh, what's that audio thing? Um, Oh, I can't remember the name of that platform. It was really popular, probably still is, but I'm not on it anymore. Um, club, something club. SoundCloud. Not SoundCloud. No, no. Uh, something club. It'll come to me. But uh, I met him on that that platform. And that's how I eventually made contact with him. He didn't know who I was when I met him on that platform, but there weren't many people on the platform at the time. But the reason I saw him on the platform was because I was just following him around, trying to find a way to connect with him, not to get anything from him, just to connect with him. And that's the thing too, you know, you have to work out what what do people want? Like if they've just released a book or they've launched a new website or something like that, chances are they want that to be promoted. They want that to be seen by others. And that's where you, the podcaster, can come in handy. So if you can reference that, you know, it's like I've seen your new book, it's amazing, I'd love to talk to you about that. So, you know, you have to work out what they want from your podcast, not just about what you want as well. Now, before we kind of wrap up, I'd love to ask these really basic technical questions because I get asked them a lot as well and I bet you do too. So let's run through this quick checklist. What kind of microphone do people need? Okay, so this microphone I'm using right now is called the Rode Procaster microphone, and it's made by a company in Australia, which makes, which is why I love one of the reasons I love it. But it's really good quality uh, audio. Uh, they produce audio and it's exported all over the world, so it's a world class quality stuff. Uh, I also use something called a Rodecaster Pro mixing desk, but that's over the top. You don't need it. In fact, please don't use equipment as a reason not to start your podcast. You can literally record your voice on your phone, even without a pair of headphones, but a pair of these Apple headphones are good enough because most of us don't want to start. We use these things as an excuse not to start. Don't make that your excuse. You don't need fancy fancy equipment. You just need something decent. Sure, once you've decided to do it well and do it properly, you, you get better quality audio. But first, just get your first two or three episodes done on decent quality audio. You know, a pair of Apple headphones is a reasonable place to start. If you want to spend 70 bucks, get a Rode lapel microphone, stick it into your phone and record your voice. We use, as we speak here, Zoom, and I've got a Rode as well, and I bought this years ago. And for the very same reason, I was told by an audio engineer it was a really good one. Also, the guy who started it was an Australian musician who had this incredible startup idea, and so I loved the thought of that. 
but also you can just record it on Zoom and just strip yeah. out the audio, which is literally just a file that you get anyway. So stripping out is even more of a technical term than it needs to be. Um, and then what about editing? What kind of people do you recommend to do the editing? Because that is a bit tricky. Yeah, you know what? I've been doing a lot of deep thinking about editing just in the last couple of days. So the first thing I would say about editing is you can get editors on, uh, I find great quality outsources on onlinejobs.ph. I've tried the various platforms, but this is the best one I found. It is a membership thing, but you can just join for a month. I think it's 99 bucks for membership, but then you can have unlimited people apply to your job ad and stuff. It is about understanding your job ad and learning how to create a good quality job ad. But ultimately, you want to try and get a few people to do the editing for you and just pick the best. But you have to also have good standard operating procedures inside your business so people know exactly how to edit and how what things you're looking for. Uh, on that. What was the uh, the name of the website? Online jobs.ph. PH. Okay, cool. Yeah. And what kind of phrasing is it like podcast editor? Is that what you would put in there? Yeah, I'd put in podcast editor. If I'm getting people to do my YouTube videos, I do YouTube editor. If I want to uh, focus on YouTube shorts, for example, I might put in YouTube shorts editor. You can try Fiverr. You can try Upwork. I haven't had great success with them, but the more niche you go and a lot of these tools you can sort of filter on the highest performing people so you know that does some of the filtering for you so you can go with that but the more you pay the better quality uh help you get uh i remember that platform that i met kai kawasaki on by the way it's called clubhouse oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. and i haven't been on there forever but it it's that's how i met him um just out of in- interest with editing what would you expect to pay an editor for say an hour's podcast so video editors are typically a lot more expensive than audio editors. Uh, what also you need to think about is how much editing do you want to do? I'm a little bit you know, obsessive about my editing. I want all the ums and ahs removed unless it's really interrupting the conversation because I want the smoothest possible listener experience. Some people don't care about it. They feel it's important for it to sound more natural. So you need to consider these things. So an editor will charge you more if they have to take out every single um and ah. Another thing I was going to say before about editing, I've realized is curation is, I've realized, a very critical part of editing. And that is something I found that I can't outsource. So there's certain pieces of conversations that I don't want to make it onto my video or audio because it's not on brand for me. I can't teach an editor that. No amount of training can teach them that. So Editing is an art and you may not want to outsource all of your editing or maybe you do it in multiple rounds. You just ask the editor to remove all the ums and ahs and then give it back to you and then you do the curation piece if you like. But curation is a very important part of editing in my opinion. So just say you had a one-hour podcast, would you expect three hours of editing? What's the ratio, would you think, just on a basic level? Yeah, three to four hours. Okay, and what kind of hourly rate would you think you'd be paying? Uh, I think you can get a reasonable editor for about seven bucks an hour US. Wow. It's cheap, isn't it? Depends on what your budget's like, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. What other, once you've done your podcast, let's just say, uh, where do you, what do you do next? So once you've recorded the podcast, is that the question? So you, we have a standard operating procedure, which we've put into ClickUp, uh, but basically it follows certain, you know, we've got folders in Google Drive. There's an input folder where all the input assets, the photo of the guest and all that sort of stuff, the run sheet. I normally send out a run sheet before a podcast, the episode number, SEO optimization, all that stuff happens on that one sheet, which is in the input folder. And then we have a work in process folder where we're doing the edits and, you know, the audio edits, the video edits, all that stuff sits in there. And then there's the output folder where you have the final completed assets. Um, so it kind of follows the those folder processes, but that's also mirrored in ClickUp where we have detailed steps, you know, it goes to 15, So what about getting it uploaded to the world? Oh, sorry. So the way we do that is we just use Blueberry. So Blueberry is uh, a plugin. So there's two aspects to podcasting. There's the hosting of your MP3 file or your MP4 file, if it's video, on a server. And that is usually done not on your website, not on your computer, just like you host your website on a server, you do a similar thing with podcasts. So there's the hosting piece and then there's the propagation to the various podcasting 
platforms like Stitcher, iTunes, Blueberry is also a platform, I think, um, Google Podcasts and so on. So in my case, I hosted on Blueberry and Blueberry has an RSS feed that propagates it across to all those platforms as well. So all we do is we upload it to Blueberry and we take a certain link and we stick that embedded link onto our website so people can listen on the website. But the minute it's in Blueberry, it pushes out to all the various platforms and everyone who's subscribed on various platforms gets the podcast. Wonderful. Wonderful. I think that's a perfect place to to wrap it up. I think, Ash, I think you've been incredibly comprehensive. Clearly, you're an expert at this business. You know exactly what you're doing and and you come at it with a strong heart-centred approach and a real strong sense of integrity about what um, it needs to be in order to succeed. So I just want to say thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute delight talking to you. You're most welcome. And if you want to know any more, just head over to ProductiveInsights.com and there's plenty of information there. And there certainly is. And all those hundreds of podcasts, which are amazing. He's got some of the best names in the business. So if you want to do a deep dive into some other topics of interest to you, check it out. It's fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been an honour. Podcasts may look tricky or expensive to produce, but they're not. You may think you need to be an expert copywriter before you launch your podcast, but you don't. If you're looking for an affordable sustainable, low stress, but high impact way to promote your business and find new clients, a podcast could be the solution. They're also a fantastic way to build your own community and create your own tribe of followers. If you'd like to join our community and our tribe of copywriters, take a look at copyclub.com.au. We know that the fastest way to find success is to have a team of people around you who hold you accountable. That's what Copy Club can be for you. It will give you the momentum you need to keep going while you're building your new copywriting career. You'll get access to our learning hub filled with loads of templates and training videos. You'll get regular Ask Me Anything sessions with amazing guest speakers and access to a private Facebook community where you can post a question get feedback on your work, and much more. You can find out more at copyclub.com.au. And if you liked this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. As always, I'll leave you with an inspiring quote, this one from Roosevelt. You can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. And my joke of the day, because I do know you're waiting for it. A man walks into a pet store and asks for a dozen bees. The retail assistant carefully counts 13 bees out onto the counter. That's one too many, says the customer. The assistant says, it's a freebie. you got to love it. Well, that's it from me. All the best and bye-bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Copywriter. You'll find the show notes at soyouwanttobeacopywriter.com.au or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news, where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions, and much more. This podcast was brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre.